0: Bearcat Blitz on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Russ Heltman. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the show. Happy holidays to everyone. Coming up on Christmas here very soon, and what will be a holiday break for the UC Bearcats men's basketball team. Lord knows they're going to need it. They're going to need all the preparation they can get to try to up their playing level to the Big 12 status, something they have failed to do so far in non-conference play, and thus far failing to put up much of anything in terms of a believing effort in the two tough games they played so far 82 68 loss to Dayton we'll dive into all that in just a moment I'm your host Russ Heltman all Bearcats reporter you can check us out at allbearcats.com and Neil Meyer check him out at allbearcats.com as well just joined the team this week going to be doing some great coverage for us across all of the Bearcats sports that everybody is wanting to check out Before we get to that topic, got to talk about another loss and a big game for Wes Miller's crew and preview Merrimack before we get done with the show, but we're going to start with a flurry of transfer portal commitments for the UC football team over the weekend and until then though. We have to tell you all about Bet Online as all the major sports are in action this week. With the college football playoff ready to kick off on New Year's Day, Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get into the action and see all the updated odds for the week. Remember to use our promo code Believe. That's B L E A V to receive your 50% welcome bonus. On your first deposit, bet online where the game starts. Neil, we got to start on the gridiron this week as Cincinnati got four, five, four super impactful transfers, I would say, four notable transfers, five, you could say so as well, if you want to count the long snapper position as impactful. They've been very stable so far there throughout the last three or four years, and they get another one in terms of Indiana State. Long snapper Jaden Perry joining the fold, but let's look at the three defensive and one offensive additions over the weekend. You get Kai Stokes from Ohio State coming over at the safety position, a little bit of an unknown talent there, but a nice baseline of recruiting skill and acumen that he comes over from Ohio State with. George Gums, former New Northern Illinois defensive end, played pretty well in his first year as a defensive end after transferring over from the wide receiver position at Northern Illinois. Idaho cornerback Armani McLean, he looks very good, or I believe that's what, Armani Arnold, excuse me, looks very good in his FCS action for the Idaho football team last year, posted a 73.8 PFF grade. That would be very good if you can translate that to the Big 12. And then we also had Florida Atlantic receiver Tony Johnson, the first receiver commitment of this portal period for Cincinnati. He figures to be eh, more of a, kind of slot talent, something like that at five foot eleven, right around 180 pounds. Going to be very interesting to see what he can bring as he transitions over. And all of these guys, Neil, before I give the floor to you, I believe all of them have multiple years of eligibility remaining outside of, I think Jaden Perry might be the lone graduate transfer out of that group I just mentioned. But a common theme here so far for this UC staff of getting guys out of the portal that they can not only have impact in 2024, but keep them in the program and help them build a baseline of culture throughout the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's been something that Scott Satterfield and them have really made an emphasis on in the portal. And that's been getting guys with multiple years of eligibility remaining. George Gump's a guy from Northern Illinois has two seasons of eligibility left. Tony Johnson from Florida Atlantic University now has two seasons of eligibility left. Ormani Arnold has three years of eligibility left. Kai Stokes also has three years of eligibility left. So overall, there's a lot of talent there. And you mentioned Jaden Perry, the long snapper, the only guy who has one year of eligibility remaining. But overall, an addition of Kai Stokes, is huge for the Bearcats secondary. Obviously, this was a guy who saw some good action in 2022, suffered a knee injury that kind of set him back a little bit this 2023 season. But you look down at the recruiting profile, was a top 100 prospect, had offers from Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, any big-name school, you name it, a top high four-star prospect. And now he's coming to Cincinnati and might take the lead back role there at the safety position after losing a guy like Brian Threats to UCF earlier last week via transfer portal and a secondary that has really struggled. We saw it last season. They're losing a lot of key pieces there in the secondary. Taj wards off to the – potentially to the NFL as he's exhausted all of his college eligibility. So, overall, in addition to Kai Stokes, is huge, and – bringing a guy with that known talent there to the secondary. it could be a huge a huge boom for Kerry Combs and Scott Satterfield. but Tony Johnson, as you mentioned, a guy who's 5 foot 11, probably will see him more in the slot if you if I had to guess just because of the size and everything. but someone I'm really excited for is George Gums. Obviously we talked you talked about his transition from a wide receiver, six foot or 250 pounds transferred to a defensive end. There last season where he finished with 34 tackles, three and a half sacks and two forced fumbles in his first year as a defensive end. And I mean, heck, I don't know, Russ, if you've seen it, but when the pictures he posted from his recruiting visit after his commitment, I mean, I don't think the guy has any body fat on him. Just looking at him, he has tremendous shape, great size and could be an impact player right away for the Bearcats.
0: George Gum's going to be a very interesting guy to watch, kind of develop in, in the Nick, Nico Palazzetti weight training system over these next few months and a guy that that's got a lot of a long way to go in terms of technique in terms of overall snap to snap acumen with the defensive end position, just looking at it. I mean, he, he was, he struggled with tackling last year, which kind of is expected when your first year transferring from offense to defense, you're not used to doing a lot of tackling drills throughout your high school career and throughout most of his, his college career being at the wide receiver position. Posted 42.4 grade there last year. That greatly dragged down a 62.1 grade overall on PFF. But obviously, that can get a lot better over an offseason of time, an offseason of tackling drills, stuff like that. A player that we didn't mention, another Ohio State guy, and a guy, and a guy that committed earlier last week, kind of in between our shows. And it was in, in between the shows, it's tough to get all the all the information, all the news checked off, especially when we have our special guests in terms of player pre- player interviews on this later show, each and every week we try to at least, was Evan Pryor out of Ohio State. Obviously, suffered a major injury last year, was in the running to maybe be a part of that running back rotation with Travion Henderson and company, but just ultimately didn't have enough time and didn't have the kind of health window to allow that to happen. He should be an electric, electric player, was a top 15, top 20 running back on most major transfer portal rankings, Neil. And I think he's a great, great option and a potential diamond in the rough that UC finds to replace a guy like Miles Montgomery, who at this point, he's not going to be back with the team, given what they just added in Everett Pryor and, and how they're moving forward in that sense. So I think overall, when you look at the transfer portal right now, I believe 24-7 Sports had UC pegged with a, I don't know if this was before or after the Tony Johnson commitment, but they were right around 15th nationally an overall transfer portal acumen aggregate player rankings. When you look at the entire hall as it is right now, where I think they stand at about almost 10 transfers. We're getting there. Eight to 10 transfers have been brought in so far, including multiple along the defensive line now and Gums and Michael Coleman. So I think you're looking for maybe one to two more cornerbacks, maybe one more safety and one more wide receiver. And you're starting to, feel pretty good about how they plugged in the holes. And now it's about getting those guys in, especially those guys in with extra years of eligibility and seeing what this coaching staff, which is ultimately the top thing that Scott Satterfield is going to be judged upon by the, the majority of his tenure here is how well his coaching staff can take the talent they have at hand from the recruiting staff once their job is done and grow them into the best possible unit. We saw that work out very well offensively last year on the offensive line. Elsewhere, it didn't really happen. It didn't really happen a lot across a lot of other position groups in terms of week to week, month to month, improving each and every time you go out there. That has to get a lot better going into this spring ball, going into this fall camp, and just going into this offseason. This offseason of development has to really take hold for this 90-plus man roster they're going to be uh, able to mold over the next few months.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we talk about Evan Pryor. I think that was a great addition. I think what he will be able to provide there with Corey Kiner in the running game will be something that is going to be very electric for a lot of fans. Obviously, Evan Pryor was a guy who also battled an injury as well, but we saw what Corey Kiner was able to do last season. And then we also saw what Miles Montgomery, Ryan Montgomery were able to do there, uh, complimenting Corey Kiner. But Evan Pryor coming in, alongside Corey Kiner is going to be something that's going to be it's going to be pretty exciting to watch we know the home run speed has been something Scott Satterfield has really elaborated on and Evan Pryor back fully healthy is something that could be a substantial impact there we've seen the speed that he has had through his recruiting times all the way up through his uh, first few seasons at Ohio State before the injury and it's going to be fun to watch behind those two guys you have a whole offensive line returning so I'm very excited for what Evan Pryor and Corey Kiner can bring to this Bearcats offense, especially behind an offensive line that's returning from a season ago. go.
0: Russ Hellman, your host here on Bearcat Blitz. He's my co-host, Neil Meyer. As we wind down this football transfer portal look, UC currently ranked on 24-7 sports with the sixth best transfer portal class, housing about seven transfers committed so far. And overall, nationally, they're sitting at 20th in the country. So pretty good, pretty good. You would you'll take that right now if you're a Bearcats team coming off a three and nine season. That's a pretty good haul thus far, and obviously they're not close to being done yet. And there's still a ton, a ton of big names out there left in the portal. It's the names that they're going to be working on. We're going to work on a quick break here on Bearcat Blitz. Them. What do you know? Another big game, another loss for West Miller and the Cincinnati Bearcats. It's becoming too much of a consistent theme over these first three years of the West Miller era. And obviously, a ton of big chances to write that ship in the Big 12, but is there any reason to believe they will? We'll get into it after this break on Bearcat Blitz. Back again on Bearcat Blitz. I'm your host, Russ Elman. He's my co-host, Neil Meyer. We both cover Cincinnati Sports for allbearcats.com. Check us out on All Bearcats, whatever browser you use. And of course, check out the show on whatever podcast platforms you use Apple, Spotify, Google. Please throw us a subscription there. Five star review helps as well. And check us out on Talking Cats with Russ Heltman, the YouTube page. Plus, we're available on game day, Friday, and Saturdays across the Valley Sports, Ohio family of cable. Channels, wherever you get your cable from, you can check us out there on Valley Sports Ohio. So, Neil, 82-68 loss for Cincinnati to the Dayton Flyers, and it never really felt close. It never felt like Cincinnati had any chance or any strong run to try to take control of this game. You get really a whole lot of nothing in terms of great performances offensively. Seamus Lukosius leads the way as the only player to shoot 50% or better from the field and uh, on, on eight-plus attempts. So it's Mandego goes four for five, but wasn't really much of an impact player on offense. He has 10, 12, 10 points, 12 rebounds. He 14 points, one rebound, two assists. I mean, you get 11 total assists in this game, and you get one assist each from Day-Day Thomas, Jizzle James, and C.J. Frederick. Man, it's just the guard play was once again terrible. C.J. Frederick was once again bad outside of 5th-3rd Arena. It looked like, hey, maybe he might be turning it on. Hits his first shot of the game. And his first attempt since uh, since outside of 5th-3rd Arena, since the Xavier debacle, but ends up going 2 of 6 from the field. Just not good enough. 1 for 4 from 3. You and I discussed them needing probably 2 to three threes a game on the road outside of 5th-3rd out of C.J. Frederick. And so far, he has not given them that. And overall, Neil, it just feels like with this nine to 10 man rotation, they're running out out there right now. I just, I'm not really seeing who is going to take the reins in these major games, in these games where you're not facing a Merrimack that you can just overwhelm with talent, that you can just overwhelm with home court advantage aspects, and that you can just rely on a 20 to five or 22 to five run sometime happening in the game. That's not going to happen against teams like Dayton. And it's especially not going to happen in the Big 12 when you'll be lucky to shoot 20% from three and not get blown out by 20 almost every night. You got to figure out a way to get better three point opportunity looks. And Neil, they got to find a go-to scoring option. This team misses David DeJulius desperately in these types of moments and these types of big games. And no one has stepped up so far to carry that mantle. It looked like Seamos Lukosius might for a stretch in the second half there. And then he goes down, goes, goes cold down the stretch and nothing really happened. It just, it feels like there is not a high enough level of top tier talent on this team from a ball handling perspective that can allow them to unlock the best talent aspect of the entire roster, which is Victor Locke and Aziz Bandego and the rest of that front court.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you saw it on Saturday night. I mean, you look at the guard play and then you look at what Dayton was able to do on the opposite end. Kobe or Kobe Bray and Kobe Elvin took over. And it felt like that game was out of hand right there when Kobe Bray came down and knocked down his third straight three to make it a 2017 game. And the Flyers never looked back from there. And I mean, anytime you can go 28 from 30 from the line, like the Flyers did, that's where your game's going to be decided. And unfortunately the Bearcat catch shot just 50% from the foul line. Dayton on the other hand shoots 92%. That's a huge difference. Dayton 28 by- to
0: eight and made free throws. 28 to 8, which in these brutal matchups and matchups where you're not going to win with talent, Neil, you got to be able to hit the freebies. And when you look at West Miller teams, Neil, what have West Miller teams never been able to do since his time at, as the UC head coach? Make the free throws at all. They've been ranked outside the top 250 every single year of his tenure. They've been in the low 60 percent every single year of his time. I mean, I stopped asking him about it after a while because it's like, I, I, he wants them to hit him, obviously. He wants them to make 80, 90% of their free throws. It's just the recruiting that he's done, the player that he's brought on the team, it's just never been able to work out that way on a team wide basis.
1: Yeah. And then recapping on Saturday, too, it just seems like Victor Lockin wasn't able to get going. It felt like Deron Holmes was getting anything he wanted inside. I mean, 10 for 17, 28 points, seven rebounds. We talked about it that UC hasn't faced a guy like Deron Holmes. And it was really just Deron Holmes was playing bully ball. Everything was falling for the Flyers. Deron Holmes got going. It allowed the guards to open up with Kobe Bray, Kobe Elvis. And next thing you know, it was over from there. I believe Kobe Ellis, Nate Santos, Kobe Bray, and Deron Holmes had 72 – or 76 of the Flyers' 82 points. Think about that. They didn't play much depth. They only played a seven-guy rotation, the Flyers did. Another and good point. Look what happened. 76 of their 82 points came from there. Victor and only finished with four points on just two of nine shooting. Yes, he had six or seven rebounds, but the rebounds didn't outweigh the offensive struggles that they needed. C.J. Frederick, we thought was going to look good, comes down, hits his first shot, and then was kind of cold after that. The guard play was something we have kind of all talked about heading into the season was they were going to need to find ways to step up here in non-conference play because you know when you head into the conference play, five of your first six, we've talked about our top 25 teams, including BYU and Oklahoma, Oklahoma's now ranked seventh in the latest AP poll that just came out a few moments ago. BYU sitting at 17. Great guard play right there. So they're going to have to find ways to get this thing going. Maybe would not be surprised. We saw Jizzle James and Day Day Thomas together for the first time all season on the court Saturday night, and West Miller even said post game that they were doing a little bit of searching in hopes to get that offense going. Might be able to kind of see that going forward. That would be something to keep an eye on. But overall, they got to find a way to get these bigs involved. I know Victor Locking started off really well, but kind of struggled versus Dayton in the or struggled versus Dayton overall, just four points. But struggled in the first half for Xavier as well. And Howard did a great job at eliminating him early as well there in that road game. So they got to find a way to keep Victor Locking stable inside. Aziz Bandago has been a great presence since his eligibility has cleared. But Jamil Reynolds also made his debut and finished with just four points and seven minutes of play. So they got to find this rotation where they can get the bigs going, whether it's one big or two bigs on the same same time on the floor. Personally, in a matchup on Saturday, we wish we would have seen a one big matchup kind of stop the guard play a little bit and allow them to kind of get out and go a little bit more with the wings. But unfortunately, they're trying to play the wings and keep drawing Holmes off the glass because he was just playing bully ball inside
0: it's just it's it's every game man it feels like it's it's, and it's not just the road games as well like uh, against bryant they they did a better job they did a good job honestly shutting down Sharif gross Bullock. but like they're allowing these top scorers to really get whatever they want in almost all of these games especially outside of fifth third when you think about seth towns dropping 24 against at howard you think about quincy olivari dropping 27 this past week and you got 28 points allowed by deron holmes it's like like if you're just throwing stuff at the wall and which is what Wes Miller told us on Saturday night, just throwing box in one, throwing different zones out, throwing different versions of man and man to man out against teams like Dayton who Dayton is going to be one of the worst team. If you compare it to the, not to the conference schedule Dayton, which has jumped up about 20 spots, but entering the game on Ken Palm was right around the mid sixties. Like that's the worst amount of talent you're going to face At all in the Big 12, let alone with a tune-up game that against Bryant that you get to test things out on it before. It's going to be no tune-up game. It's going to be at Stillwater, Oklahoma, and then go in to face a team that's not even that's on level with Dayton, and having to face them maybe on the road in their pure home environment, which honestly like it was embarrassing what we saw out of the UC fans on Saturday night it was honestly embarrassing deal like they got completely outclassed they were totally totally outcrowded by the Dayton Flyers who had to make the 45 minute drive down to Cincinnati like man it was UC didn't give them a ton to cheer about i'm i, I get that but overall it was just a flat effort from everything you see, whether the fans the coaching staff and the, and the, the team in general and it's just it takes us to this point where West Miller's teams, the way he is conducting himself in these big games, you mentioned the shortened rotation for Dayton and the longer rotation for Cincinnati. I'm starting to notice that as a trend just overall, Cincinnati being an outlier in college basketball, where especially if Jameel Reynolds starts to turn it on here, you got to find a way to get an eight-man rotation for these big matchups, Neil. especially down the stretch, especially in the second halves of games. You can't be making – I don't think you, it's going to work mixing in 9 to 10 guys like they have over the past few years under West Miller. I just I don't see that working. It has never worked for this program with West Miller here. And now he is 4 and 18 in games against Dayton, Houston, Memphis, Xavier, Holiday tournaments and the NIT in his career. 4 and 18. That is so 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 bad. They have over doubled Neal as many losses to teams outside the top 100 in Ken Palm and Wes Miller's tenure as they do wins against teams in the top 75 in Ken Palm and Wes Miller's tenure. I love what Wes is building. I love covering him as a coach. I love just everything that the program has been vibes wise, just day to day since he took over the team. But at some point, these wins have to start coming and they have to start coming in bunches. This is Cincinnati basketball. This isn't Memphis. This isn't Xavier. This isn't Dayton. This isn't Ohio State. This is multi-time national champion, multiple NBA basketball Hall of Famers, many more Final Fours. I mean, the history and the precedent that has been set at this program screams that that record has to be much, much, much better. And we're just becoming... We're getting into a Groundhog Day scenario like we got into in football season this past year, where it's the same things happening in these same big games, time after time after time. And we got about two, three minutes left in the show. I mean, I personally, you and I didn't want to give a lot of time to Mary Mack on this show because who cares? They got a 96% chance to win the ball game, according to ESPN. Mary Mack is easily the worst team they're going to face. The rest of the year, when you look at Ken Palm rankings, them sitting 263rd nationally, like it doesn't matter what they do tomorrow unless it's a close game. The only thing that can come out of a win on Tuesday is a negative, like you're not going to be taking anything positively away from a 91 to 60 win over Merrimack. It's not going to matter because they just did that against Bryant and they came out four days later and completely no show they no-showed like they no-showed against Xavier and like they've no-showed four out of 22 big games in the West Miller tenure. And that's being generous. That's counting the Louisville win in the Maui Invitational last year against one of the worst programs in the country over the past two years. That's counting that win. That's counting the NIT wins. Again, one against Hofstra at that. And I count it because it was a tougher road environment out there in uh, in, in the, I think it's upstate New York or whatever, but, Man, it's just like, it's feeling like Groundhog Day. And I understand it's a process. I understand there's a rebuild that had to happen with the John Brandon disastrous ending that that was. But three years in and nearing the midway point of this third season, I don't think I'm wrong. And I don't think any fan would be wrong in saying results need to start showing to make people believe that this thing is headed in the right direction.
1: Yeah. And then you mentioned, obviously, the local rivalry games. I mean... You're looking ahead to this Big 12 conference play. You talk about the rotation. Looking at a team like Kansas, for a prime example, KJ Adams, Kevin McCuller, Hunter Dickinson, DeWan Harris, they're going to have to find a way to really hone in on those guys. If they struggle with DeJuan Holmes on Saturday night, yes, he was the preseason a 10 player of the year. Just imagine what Hunter Dickinson is going to be able to do. Obviously, everyone knows he was the number one player in all of college basketball last season outside of Zach Eadie. But Overall, Hunter Dickinson, if they just allow them to get to the interior defense, get right to the rim, Hunter Dickinson will have a field day versus the Bearcats at the end of January. And that's something that Wes Miller has mentioned. They really got to find a way to tighten their interior defense up as they collapsed and whatnot on Saturday night. But man, they have to find a way to get these wins and bundles here as they get ready to start Big 12 play. Yes, Mary Mack is another game on the schedule and they will prepare as usual. But these last three non-conference games should be easy wins for the Bearcats. Mary Mack, Stetson, and one more to end out the non-conference slate. Then you're heading into an absolute gauntlet of Big 12 play, and It's going to come quick. You start on the road at BYU. You have Texas at home. It's going to go from there. It's going to be a gauntlet. So the Bearcats need to tune these things up here in the last three games, really find out their rotations, what they're able to do there, whether it's shorten the rotation or or split minutes some more. We saw Odio Guama's minutes kind of trimmed on Saturday night a little bit, but they have to find a way to get collectively as a group and come together for these last three non-conference games and build quite the bit of momentum heading into Big 12 play at the start of January.
0: Right, and, and, and looking at the lineup thing, like I understand what Wes is trying to do. Like it, it's, it is much better, and especially in a Big 12 schedule, it's much easier to manage a team that you have – nine guys playing 17 to 18 minutes a game and manage injuries and Manning's play styles like that. But there have not been nine players so far that have shown that they deserve 18 to 21 minutes per game in a big 12 schedule. The talent has just not shown to be that stuff thus far. Now, maybe the talent continue out, continues to elevate. They take it on the chin this year. It's another rough season and you get in a couple more four stars next year. You get in a, a premier transfer next year. And you have the talent level that you need to compete overall and be able to run a system like that. But all I can do is is operate with the results that are given to us. That's all we can do, Neil. And they've been terrible so far in the games that matter. They've been terrible. Just flat out terrible. Four and 18 record in games that have a big connotation to them. And it's just not good enough so far. They have to figure out a way to get more consistent in those environments and be able to show up in these big game environments They've only done it four out of 22 times so far. Quick preview of Merrimack before we close out the show on Bearcat Blitz. Neil Meyer, Russ Heltman here with you all to round out our Cap Blitz on a Tuesday, excuse me, on a Monday, Monday here, December 18th. 2023, UC 8-2 and two on the season. They enter this game, Neil, ranked, I think, 30th, 36th in Ken Palm, 37th in Ken Palm, mm-hmm. to Mary Max sitting at eh, right around 263rd. This is the worst team UC will play for the remainder of the regular season, so they better get their licks in on this one because they're not going to get any more cupcakes the rest of the season. 332nd ranked offense by adjusted efficiency and 132nd on defense. For me, it's really going to come down to Jordan Durdak. If they can shut down Jordan Durdak, just like they were able to shut down Sharif Gross-Bullock a couple of weeks ago, then I don't see – or last week, excuse me – then I don't see how this offense and this team, which is largely driven by Durdak, is going to be able to do anything. He is number one in the NEC with a thirty-two point, excuse me, 31.4% usage rate on the year. I just – I don't see how, if they shut him down, the – the Merrimack Warriors are going to be able to fight their way to any kind of respectable result in this game. Coming into it average at 16.9 points, 6.7 rebounds, 2.9 assists. One of the top free throw players in the country. So he hunts contact very well, does not shoot it very well. The Bearcats can force Merrimack into a lot of long jump shots, keep them away from the rim like they should be able to with their superior length, considering Merrimack has no players. Another team you're playing with no size, no players six foot seven or taller. I mean, this should be a 20-point victory for the Bearcats.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the size is the key advantage here. But Jordan Durdak is a guy who's going to hunt contact. And if they foul every time they get to the rim like they did last Saturday versus Dayton, Durdak could have a field day. So they have to not allow him to get to the rim and attack, but they have to utilize their size advantage here, especially with guys like Victor Locke and Odio Guama, Jamil Reynolds and Aziz Vandego.
0: Gonna be an interesting one, Neil. And I'll be there at Fit Third Arena at seven PM on Tuesday night. Come say hi if you'd like, and of course check out all of our great sponsors. Thank you to them for their support, and thank you to Bet Online for being our presenting sponsor on this episode of Bear Cap Blitz. This is the second. Fifteen seconds left. Shot clock off. Four point game. DeJulius puts up a three.